Welcome to Who Is My Neighbor, the podcast highlighting community leaders making a difference. I'm Jenny Devlin, and I'm excited to be here with Levi White today. Levi is a second grade virtual school teacher where he was awarded Teacher of the Year for the 21-22 school year. He then went on to receive Elementary School Teacher of the Year for the entire very large school district. He is in his 15th year of being an educator. Levi is also a worship leader with music being a big part of his life and service. He was raised in the Chicago area by, as he says, an amazing single mother. He has two children, ages five and seven, and has been married to his wife, Molly, for 17 years. Levi has lived in his current community for 10 years. Levi, welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm so glad you're here. Now, teaching is obviously a job, but going the extra mile and helping children love learning, that is an incredible service that you and so many fantastic teachers give. So first off, I wanted to take the time to thank you for all of the extra hours and hard work and daily patience that you and so many educators give. So thank you. It is my pleasure. It's what I was called to do. Okay. So I have to say you have such a unique teaching style. And as far as I understand, you are a self-proclaimed super nerd. Yes, (laughs) very much so. Can you talk a little bit about how you bring your interest in all things nerdy, as you say, into your teaching and what you've seen in your students as a result? So the goal of a teacher is to build relationships with your students. And so anyone that is passionate about something, whether it's Star Wars or comic books or Superman, if you bring that passion and interest, it builds commonality. And so right away, when any student comes into contact with me, hopefully they can see my classroom and hear me talk about the things that I'm passionate about and find those commonalities with me in order to build that relationship, which will then lead on to trust which then leads on to me helping that child succeed. And so having those interests that are usually common interest with a young child has been very beneficial to my career for sure. (laughs) Along with that, I know that you are a worship leader and music is a big part of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then also how you bring music into your classroom setting as well. So my job as a worship leader with Kirkwood Church is built again around building relationships. And so as a worship leader, I'm not only leading people in music, but hopefully leading them into a lifestyle of things that we would want our faith to reflect. And so that musical gift that I have also builds relationships with the kids in the class when I'm able to play for them and I'm able to incorporate that side of my personality into the instruction. And when I hear parents say that their kids needed to hear that song on that day, or when it builds not only relationships with the students, but with the parents, when I play a song from the 60s or the 50s or the 70s, and they think, oh, I love that song. I haven't heard that song forever. One of the absolute joys and the best things about being a virtual teacher is I don't get to be with just the kids. I get to be with the kids and their families. And it's a completely different atmosphere. So to be able to share that gift with families has been invaluable. And and it's something that everyone can participate in. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a great reader to be a great musician. You don't have to be fantastic at math and have the highest math fluency score to enjoy music. 
it's accessible to everyone. And, and one of the, the greatest joys I've ever had as a teacher is to have some of my older students come back and email me videos of themselves playing guitar just because they wanted to share that with me. And there's been a few students that I've got to walk with as far as, as musical instruction and, and tutoring them in learning how to play music and see how they've developed. And so when you're looking at a child, you're looking at the whole child and the whole child, every kid can excel and be good at something. And if you're able to tap into and build that self-confidence, then you're going to have a motivated child on your hands that feels good about themselves. That's willing to take risks and work for you to do the next thing. That's so great. And it's not just about test scores. I love that you said it's about the whole child. Okay, so you and your class were able to sing with Adasa from the new Disney movie, Encanto. She's Dolores, right? That can hear really far yes. away. How was that for you? Tell me about that experience and, and maybe what you think that experience, how that impacted your students. It, again, building relationships. It was amazing. And that was a connection that my mom made from her church. To be able to have Adasa come and have the kids be overwhelmingly excited about that experience. My job as a teacher is how can I bring the community to my students? How can I give them things that they're going to remember? It's not about just education as far as fluency and comprehension, but to give them experiences that they're going to remember. You know, one of the things that my wife and I talk about is, am I going to remember today? And so all of those kids were got a day that they're going to remember. And that it was an amazing, she was so gracious and so wonderful. I even got to sing with her one of her songs. It was really something special. I got <laughs> some emails from some of my parents. One of my little girls dressed up as Dolores and made a side-by-side -side that we were able to send to Adasa. And another parent sent me a video of their child singing just by themselves, just going all out for it. And it was another way to bring something up. Music is such an amazing thing. And to be able to share that with children at that age, and if it plants a seed for them to explore that later on, then it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I have to ask, along with your music, you say that you use spray paint art to help build relationships. I would love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. So being the super nerd that I am, I do have my little Etsy shop and I do spray paint art of different superheroes and comic book characters and sports teams and, and things like that. And so that's afforded me the opportunity to go to a lot of different art shows, whether it's a Christmas craft show or whether it has been just a flat out comic book convention. And when anytime you're face to face with someone, it's an opportunity. And when we're talking about service, you can't serve somebody unless you know what they need. And in order to know what they need, you have to build a relationship with them. And that relationship often starts over something as common as Star Wars. Because you build that commonality, that commonality turns into a conversation, that conversation turns into an opportunity to bless that person and supporting them and whatever they're going through. And it opens doors. And so it's, it's been able to open a few doors for me with my students. We do a reading challenge to where it's not about how much you read, but it's about building a habit of reading and whoever 
consistently read. It didn't have to be much over a certain amount of times. They got one of the paintings as a reward. And so they got to look at them and pick the one that they wanted that they were excited about. I've always said you can do more with a motivated child in 15 minutes than you can with an unmotivated child in an hour. So mm -hmm. I will use everything at my disposal, especially my nerdiness to motivate these kids. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you are finding a unique way to use your talents and your interests to serve and get them excited about learning. That's so fascinating. I would love to talk a little bit about some of your favorite parts of being an educator, but then also some of its challenges, both as an educator in general, but then also specifically being a virtual teacher. When I became an educator, I was told this is going to be the hardest job you will ever love to do. And that is very, very true. So the, the hardest thing about being educator is the workload. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable workload. And, and you're not just an educator. You're an educator, a janitor, a mama, a daddy, a everything, Grammy, grandpa, in between. You are expected to do it all and do it all well and be accountable for it all. It's a tremendous, tremendous responsibility and a tremendous amount of pressure. So the, my least favorite thing is the paperwork and the workload. It's a lot. So be nice to your teachers. <laughs> but my favorite thing about it is this is something that I truly feel like I was called to do. This is not something I chose for myself. It was very clear that I was meant to do this. But the rewards from that are you get to change people's lives. And that cannot be understated enough. You get a unique opportunity to meet a child and their family, their whole family, where they're at, and help them to grow, help them to do things that they never thought were possible, help them to see things in themselves that they didn't see before, and to expose them to things that they didn't even know that they were interested in or that they could do and to be their cheerleader. And not only do you get to do that for a year, but you know, I tell my kids, once you're mine, you're mine forever. And so I get to see these kids grow up in this community from now until forever. And so my first group of students, when I started in the district are seniors this year, wow. you know, and that's something special for me too. But the best thing in the world are the relationships that you get to build and being virtual is so amazing because you get more one-on-one -on -one time with the kids. You get to teach without a lot of the distractions that would be in a normal classroom, but you get access to the families. And I can't stress how much of a unbelievable resource that is to be able to say, hey, go get your mom. Let me show them this. Or to be able to stop and pull a kid into a breakout room. Um, a lot of people have the misconception that virtual school is me pushing out assignments and you learning on your own. It is not. We are a school. We are a full-blown school. We have art teachers and music. Well, we're going to have an art and music teacher next year, which I'm very excited about. We have a PE teacher. They have a guidance teacher. They have expectations. They have a schedule. It's, it's a full workload. It is a school. You go to school. But the things that we're able to do, and we haven't even scratched the surface of the possibilities yet. And so I get genuinely excited when talking about the virtual school, because what my vision of that is, is for it to be not only a public school, but an opportunity for parents to build and have influence on their, their kids' education and their kids' community as well. 
And I think we all have that teacher that lit a spark in us, that guided us in a direction in our lives that we never imagined we'd go. And I think that you are probably that for a lot of students. So you were touching on this a little bit before, but as a community, parents, grandparents, people wanting to support teachers and children, in your opinion, what are some of the best ways that we can support and serve teachers and ultimately the children? Put your kids first. Put your kids first. Take time with them. My job as a teacher is to find out what your child needs and give it to them. Your job as a parent, my job as a parent is to find out what my child needs and give it to them. And that's not what I want to give them. That's what they need. And, and so for a virtual parent, you have a unique opportunity for me to show you live over Zoom exactly how to help your child. And so if I show you how to help your child and things that you can do and you're watching me teach, then you have the tools to then help your child. And that's what helps me the most. The other thing about being a virtual parent is, and I've got parents in my class that do this, and it's so amazing, is they take initiative in part of the social aspect of their students' lives, of their kids' lives. And so now we're starting to build that community. So I have parents say, we're going to be at this park at this time. And if your kid would like to join us, they're more than welcome to join us. And so now I've got parents getting together outside of school and meeting more of those social needs than can be met online. And so if we can turn virtual into like a co-op where the parents have a role and they take initiative, because I can't do it all, but to be a part, an active part of that. And we've got parents that sponsor clubs. We had a Lego robotics club that a parent took the initiative in. And I know that that went very well. They took third place. I'm very proud of them. And one of my co-teachers, she did an amazing job sponsoring that club. If you have a gift and a talent, share it with these kids. These kids are eager and happy to learn and their parents are happy to bring them to learn those things. It's not just sit behind your computer. It's we can get involved in these things. In this different way that the world has changed and that we have the ability to do that. Would you say there are different ways that parents and grandparents and community members can help with traditional school students? With traditional schools, it's get involved. Get involved in your PTO. The PTO needs help. Usually it is three unbelievable women that are doing the amount of work for 20 women or men or the dads. In my school, it was mainly women. But the PTO, oh my goodness, get involved with your PTO and support that PTO. They do so much for us as teachers, for our students. They make things happen. So if you're going to get involved in your school, get involved with the PTO. And then ask the teacher what they need. Every teacher is different. Every teacher has different needs. You've got some teachers that are in their first year and they've got some teachers that have been doing it forever. I have been blessed with so many amazing parents. I had one parent come in They found out the AR level of every single book in my classroom library, labeled those books. And that was just something that I didn't have time to do. And so every teacher has something that they could probably use a little help with. I've had parents make bulletin boards for me before, but the PTO and just asking the teacher, how can I help you? And I've always appreciated that I've had parents that have brought me lunch before and that just made my day. And you want your cup to be overflowing so you can overflow onto the kids. If you are stressed and you know it's not go well, 
it, it can't help but overflow that way. And so the more you can pour into your teacher, the more they're going to positively pour into your kids because you want someone in a good mood and that's happy. <laughs> and, you know, that is love and life to be with your child all day long. That's so good. Such good words. And with the PTO, it's that organization of service to be able to give yes. exactly what they need. So, so good. we had the best PTO in the world at Cumberland Heights. It did not get better than that one. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit. Your undergraduate and graduate studies and degrees have included a bachelor's of psychology with graduate work in marriage and family counseling and a master's degree in educational theory and practice. How do you feel these specific degrees and studies have guided you as an educator? (laughs) A a psychology, a bachelor's of psychology is not good for a lot of things. So uh, (laughs) unless you plan on pursuing that field, it is not the best degree in the world as far as versatility. But my original intention was to get that bachelor's degree in psychology. And then my wife and I both at the same time went into a marriage and family counseling program. And that program did not align with our faith and our beliefs. And so we had to drastically take another direction. And so when I say that I was called to be a teacher, that's how that came about. But what I learned in that program, especially in in the counseling program, was how to look at a person and see what do they need? How can I meet those needs? And to really focus on what are the things that are in my control? What are the things that I can change? What are the things that I can have an impact on? And so it gives you a different level of emotional intelligence when you study psychology and counseling. And you know that you got to meet people. In counseling, the message is the same. Meet people where they're at. In teaching, the message is the same. Meet people where they're at. In faith and in my job as a worship leader, the message is the same. Meet people where they are at and take them along with you. Help them where they are, not where you want them to be, where they are. And whatever struggle, whatever challenge they're going through at that time, be in there with them, love on them, where they are, how they are, and then grow them. And then my master's degree is in educational theory and practice. That was the teaching degree. And so I was part of a non-traditional program in Arkansas that it it was a crash course in education. I started my career in kindergarten and it was something, but my very first principal, Miss Conley, if you're out there, I love you. She gave me a job and she said, Levi, we hired you because you are different. Do what makes you different. Mm -hmm. And that was the best teaching advice I ever got. Yeah, we don't have to fill the shoes of anybody else. That's, it's so perfect. And I think something I'm learning as I do these interviews and get to know all of these different people is that doing that different thing is what is working because that's the way that they were supposed to be serving and giving to the world, you know? So it's so perfect to just be who you are, right? Okay, we've touched on this a few times. I would love if you can think of a moment in your life when you decided that you wanted to become a teacher, or as you said, were called to, you needed to become a teacher. I would love to kind of touch on that and that experience for you. And then in conjunction with that, why it was so important to you. I can remember the exact moment I knew I was going to be a teacher. We were in the car. Our graduate school was over. It was done. And it happened very abruptly. And it was not by our choice that that happened. 
And so my wife and I were just, we're newly married and we needed a new career and a new direction immediately. And we were driving down somewhere and I was talking to my dad on the phone and he said, Arkansas has a non-traditional program. What do you think about teaching? And I said, oh yeah, yeah. We were talking about that for Molly. That'd be great for her. And, um, <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. Both of you. And when he said that, I knew. I, I knew that that's the direction we were going to go in. And we had a lot of boxes to check in a very, very short amount of time. So from leaving the graduate program in October of 2007, by the next year in August, when school started, I was in the classroom. So it, it was a lot of fast. It was crash courses in graduate school, fast for different reading instructions. And once it got going, you never figure it out. You're always growing in teaching. You're, you're never going to be the teacher you want to be because you can always see everything you can do better. Mm. But wherever I was at that time, where, whatever school I was at at the time, I just knew that that is where I was supposed to be. And when it was time to go, I would put my feelers out there and say, God, whichever door you want me to walk through, that's the one you need to open because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. So you're going to have to make this really, really clear for me. And every door that's been opened for me were not always the doors that I chose, but were the exact where I needed to be. There's nothing quite so reassuring as to being and serving where you feel like you're supposed to be. And with my whole heart, I feel like I'm supposed to be at the virtual school. So of all the years that you've been teaching, can you think of an experience that was really memorable for you or a time when you really felt like you were making a difference? There's been a few. I was recently at a recital of one of my students. I had this student in second grade and I've been teaching her music and she's now in seventh grade. And when her grandma saw her perform and she asked me, did you ever imagine that she would be doing this now? And, and I was able to honestly answer, yes, I did imagine this. I did see what music could bring to this child's life and to see it in action. That was an amazing experience for me to watch my students successful. I had a student this year after doing a reading test Influency sent me a video and said, I am so proud of myself. And that's, that's it. That means the world to me because it's like we said earlier, it is not all about test scores. You want your kids to do well. You want your kids to feel successful, but even more so as they feel successful, you want them to be proud of themselves wherever they're at, the growth that they make you want them to be proud of themselves. When I had a student email me when they were a sophomore in high school, jamming on the guitar and, you know, he, I couldn't even recognize him because he had grown so much. I had him <laughs> when he was nine years old. It's those moments that make every graded paper, every upset parent, makes it all worth it. And I think it's so interesting that they are sending them to you because you obviously had some sort of connection or guidance in their musical life. So that's so neat that you still get to experience that. So people often ask me, are you the music teacher? No, I'm, I'm the second grade. Okay. The last question I have for you is if someone listening is interested in serving in his or her community, 
what advice would you give them? My advice would be serve in your own home first. Serve your wife, serve your children. They're your number one. You're there. You're in our church. We say your first ministry is to your family. Serve your family first. Out of that, that love and that compassion, then build relationship with someone else. Find out what they need and then meet that need. Wherever you choose to do that and go where your talents lie or try something new. Either way, but it's about people. Your, your goal of service is to bless somebody else. And so you giving them what they don't need doesn't help them. You loving them, finding out what they actually need, and then helping them can change their life and can change yours even more. So that would be my advice to someone wanting to serve in their community. It starts at home. Well, thank you for all of the ways that you serve in the community with education, especially and music and your worship. And thank you for taking the time to share your community involvement with us today. All right. Thank you, Jenny. If you are looking for opportunities to serve in your community, JustServe.org is a great resource. It connects reputable organizations in need with volunteers willing to serve, all for free. Join us in future episodes as we hear from community leaders who are shining their lights and making a difference.